Trust in God and God will make your path straight. And in all things and everything, lean on God for your understanding. Please be seated. In today's Gospel, we see Jesus coming from his place of prayer. As he approaches the disciples, they ask him to teach him, to teach them how to pray. At this stage of the journey, they are moving towards Jerusalem. Jesus has not yet finished his messianic journey. And at the moment, they are toying with the idea of, is this man a holy man? Is he the son of God? Is he... And they're still wrestling with what the is he is. And yet, they see an inkling of greatness and they see things that Jesus does which lift them above the, which lift their spirits above their circumstances and ask them to seek God's perspective. And so they come with eyes of admiration, looking at Jesus and going, wow, the way he prays, it's amazing. It's amazing the way he prays. I want some of that. I want to be part of that. And it's not as though they don't know how to pray. They clearly would know how to pray. Some of them would have been in the Jewish synagogues praying. Some of them would have prayed to the the Greek gods, the Roman gods. So they all had a habit of praying. But this idea of how how Jesus allowed the Spirit to fall on him and take him into a place where he was completely connected to the Father was something that they really wanted. So today I'm looking at this passage with the eyes of admiration that the disciples had, the eyes of Wow, what does Jesus have that we need? And in many ways, for want, of a better, for want of a better phrase, I've called it a prayer audit, just to look at the ideas that are in the passage and do you kind of stick, do those sort of things stand out for you and could they help you set your compass needle in a direction that makes your prayer a rich prayer, a prayer where you are filled with the Holy Spirit and in a space where God is speaking to you. The commandments say that we can have no God before or apart from our God. So the first thing we can see from the passage is that to pray to God, we need to have nothing else distracting us. Today we see Jesus moving out of a prayer space, a space that he has allocated to his time with God. In the passage, it's actually a physical space. And so Jesus reserves different spaces as he travels as spaces for him to be with his Father in heaven. So the first question that I have is, do you have a prayer space? Do you have a prayer chair? Do you have somewhere where you go, where you leave the world behind physically and move into a space that is your own and for you to talk to God and to be with God? Indeed, as we have come to know Jesus as the Messiah and as we have come to have a deeper relationship with our God, then we are called to go deeper into ourselves as we, as disciples. Do you allow the world to be locked out of your heart, out of your mind and out of your soul while you are in your prayer space with God? Do you go into your prayer space thinking about the problems or thinking about issues, I've got to pay the bill, our Father in heaven. I've got to send that check off, who who art in heaven. 
hallowed be thy name. Oh, I've got to send that letter off. Are you intertwining all the things that you say to God and all the prayers that you have to God with other thoughts? Or physically, mentally, spiritually and emotionally, do you create a little wall and just say, the world's not going to fall apart while I'm over here having my prayer with God? And indeed, in the Gospels throughout, in different ways, we see that the world isn't going to fall apart while Jesus has time with his Father in heaven. So, can I ask, do you have that spiritual discipline of locking the world out and having an intimate relationship with your Lord God, one that is not distracted? When Jesus prays, he always allows the Spirit to fall on him when he is praying. Even before one word is offered in prayer, he withdraws, leaves the world behind, leaves his disciples and apostles to one, to one space and goes into a moment of intimacy with God where he calls Abba, Father, hallowed is your name. How are you going with that practice in your prayer space? Jesus names his Father as the one in heaven who is holy above all else. As I listen to people pray in various forums and communities, I hear them praying, Lord, I, I send this prayer out to the universe. I send this prayer out to the spirits. I send this prayer out to a cloud somewhere. And yes, we pray, in a, sometimes we pray in interfaith situations and we, and we want God to be with us, but we don't want to name God and offend people. But that can form a habit that then goes into our personal prayer with God so that our prayers aren't given to God but are sent out into the universe somewhere. And this was no different in Jesus' time with people praying to Greek gods, uh, Roman gods, to the gods that were surrounding their, their land and, their things that they, and the things that they did in their work and, and trying to run their businesses. Yet radically Jesus asked the world then and the world now to commit prayers to our one Father in heaven, to the three persons of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the one who is holy of holy and whose name is hallowed above all others. As we look at our prayer practice in light of the gospel today, how do you go with that? Do you, do you direct your prayers to God and hold firmly on to God and are inspired with that connection that you have with our Lord God? Or do you water it down and allow your prayers to drift off into the universe somewhere? The intimate relationship we have with our God is also found in the naming of God being the one to receive our prayer. Jesus prays for us to receive God's, God's daily bread, the spiritual food that surrounds, that sustains us and surrounds us and nurtures us so that we can be holy and righteous before our God in all our actions. We too need to pray for this and hopefully you do because we need spiritual fuel for our journeys because the trials and tribulations of the world can be hard and can challenge us. But we need the fuel that sustains our relationship with God and allows us to release God's glory into the world. 
through the fruits of the Holy Spirit. How do you go with that? How are you going with praying for God's daily bread and also not using the daily bread that you receive today to try and do a number of things tomorrow, but actually using that bread to sustain and nurture you and to help you grow with the things that you have in that day. Sometimes we can have huge problems and we go, well, I'm not going to deal with that today, I'll deal with that tomorrow. And then tomorrow it's even bigger and the daily bread's being used up for other things and all of a sudden you've got a situation where you don't have the spiritual fuel to deal with things. How are you going with that? Do you pray to God to have daily bread and then take the daily bread from other sources? Do we pray to God for peace in our world and then allow the despondency to fill us when we turn on the TV and see the wars that are around us and we forget that our God is in charge? When we pray for the people around us and ask for our spirit to be filled on spiritual food, to help us in our relationship with others. And yet, do we allow the daily bread that comes from gossip, people's opinions or things shared by others that are grounded in worry, anxiety and pain to change what spiritual food we're getting in the process? How are you going with this? How are you travelling on this journey in receiving your daily bread from God? In its entirety, that first section where Jesus actually tells us how to pray, in its entirety, the community that prays the Lord's Prayer is a community that is very conscious of its privileged closeness to God. But it prays in the world, as part of the world, on behalf of the world, to testify to the onset of the kingdom. As they did that then, so we do now. We pray in the world, on behalf of the world, and testify to the kingdom in our part of the world. In this prayer, we are praying for food, reconciliation and deliverance from evil. And we don't pray this for ourselves or our parish only. The prayer brings us into a space where we pray for the entire human family, whose dignity and destiny as disciples of Christ we model and proclaim. In its entirety, we are praying for all people in creation to return home to their Father in heaven. How does this idea sit with you? Do you pray the prayer from a place of being close to God through the way you live out your calling and discipleship, or do you pray as someone who has God at arm's length, almost like a genie in the bottle where you'll pray when you need something, but you're not going to immerse and surround yourself with a spirit to release the kingdom into the world. Having shared these words of how to pray, Luke takes us into a different area than Matthew did when he he used these words. Where Matthew followed the prayer with an emphasis on forgiveness and forgiving others, Luke emphasises the attitude that accompanies the words that we pray. That of having confidence in our prayer, believing that our prayer 
is actually answered and that our prayer has been heard and that we can be persistent and allow God to keep hearing the core prayer of our hearts. In the world of the Gentile groups that Luke was writing to, the question of whether a prayer is heard by the gods was debatable. Roman gods, Greek gods, well, they were fickle. And they would hear a prayer and sometimes even do the opposite to show their power over humanity and even their disdain for people. Luke notes the parable to show that continual and persistent prayer to God will be a prayer that cannot be ignored and will be acted upon by our Lord God. And I'm not talking about demanding prayer. I'm not talking about the prayer that I mentioned before that is the genie in the bottle prayer. What I am talking about is persistently acknowledging God's place in your life. Persistently saying, you are my Father in heaven and Father, I need you to help me with this. I need you to allow whatever it is to emerge and to help and I need help in that space. Persistent prayer allows for change to occur in us over time so that we actually get to the core of what we are praying about. I know with my persistent prayer, sometimes I start praying for one thing and as I slowly unpack that prayer, it changes. My prayer of the heart changes. And as I get intimate and deeper into my relationship with my God, I start becoming more vulnerable. And when I become more vulnerable, well, my Lord God, hears the core prayer that I have in my heart. And every time that has happened, I have felt the prayer answered. Do you pray in anticipation of answers? Do you pray from a place of vulnerability? Do you pray persistently, even when you're not seeing the results emerging as quickly as you want them to? The genius of this parable that we read in the passage today engages with us in terms of our feelings between ourselves and God in the sense that we put parental love and responsibility from our God and place it into our life, into our lives. And we draw on this parental responsibility of love and, respons of love and responsibility into our attitude of prayer towards God. For those disciples who were listening to Jesus from other religions, this would have just blown their minds out. It would have been completely countercultural to what they have heard. Prayers were done with anxiety and worry, appeasing God so they don't punish us. Jesus in this parable does not tell us about a God who is about, a, about to punish us, but he tells us about a God who feels deeply for us, who loves us and wants us to have every blessing from heaven in our life. In light of knowing how God feels about you, how do you come to pray before God? What is your attitude? Are you confident about your prayers? Are you coming to God knowing that you are already loved and wanted and desired by God? Or do you come to God still wondering if he knows who you are? Do you know that going before God means that he has a thousand more times, a million more times 
love for you and care for you than the person that you care about the most and love the most? How do you feel about that? Because essentially Jesus is asking us to have strong feelings and to have a positive relationship in that space. Prayer, however, can be a mystery and it seems contradictory at times when we are told, knock and your prayers will be answered. Keep knocking on the door and eventually you'll receive what you want. And sometimes I'm told, and here I am told to pray persistently and our prayers will be answered, but we also know that God's wisdom is greater than ours and the result of any prayer will be part of God's plan which gives me comfort, but in some ways doesn't completely satisfy what I'm thinking when I read this passage. As I read this passage, what I have come to learn about the mystery of prayer is the difference I pray in my prayer, sorry, when I am praying from a space of fear and anxiety instead of faith and confidence. When I pray in fear, seeing that my problem is bigger than my God, then my prayer is almost sabotaged by who I am. So I'm asking you to come to pray to your God in confidence of faith, knowing that your God is bigger than any prayer, than any problem that you could ever have. Jesus' invitation today does draw me in persistently. When I, am, when I pray in the way that I am inspired to today by the gospel, I name God as my God. I yearn for his reign in my life. I ask for that which sustains me. I ask for the hard stuff, the impossible stuff, and I expect to be held, challenged, blessed, and changed by the Spirit when the Father gives it to me as I ask him to give it. You see, when it comes down to it, when we bring our needs to God's love in faith, that is prayer. The Lord be with you.